Hey everyone, my name is Kyla. Welcome to my channel where I talk about the stock market and the economy amongst other things. Hello, I'm sorry that I've been MIA. I'll talk about it more later on. But right now I want to get into inflation. What's been going on with inflation? Why is inflation so high? And what can we expect from it moving forward? So today was the January CPI. It came in, of course, hotter than expected. Inflation has been a huge, huge problem. And it's a byproduct of a lot of different things. It's a byproduct of supply chain breakdowns, of geopolitical tension, of labor wage problems, of accommodative fiscal and monetary policy. And to note, this is not that money printer go burr meme that's actually factually inaccurate so what's going on so today we had the cpi print for january it came in hotter than expected with year-over-year inflation rising by seven and a half percent the fastest since 1982 which is not good it rose 0.6 percent in january alone and the biggest problem is that prices are rising everywhere so this is broad-based inflation people are feeling the pain across the board it's in energy it's in vehicles it's in meat my grocery bill is super expensive right now so yeah it's everything it's everything everything, it's everything. For context, normally we experience the Fed targets inflation of about 2% per year. And so the fact that we got 0.6% in one month, as we've had for the past several months, isn't awesome. So used cars are contributing a lot to this inflation number, but also fuel oil prices are up 9.5% month over month, over 50% on the year. Food has gotten more expensive. Meat is up 12% over the year. And the problem with inflation coming in so spicy this recent morning is because nobody thought it would be a as spicy as it was so it came in spicier than expected which isn't good like you want to be prepared for the spice that you're going to experience the other issue is that inflation could potentially become entrenched shelter you sign a year rent agreement and then you buy a house for like 30 year mortgages right and so the worry is that some of these price increases could get baked into the market leading to the inescapable void of increasing prices forever and Unlike goods, which are a function of supply chains, consumer demand, etc., service prices have gone up, so healthcare, shelter, other things like that, those prices have started to increase, and those are a little bit more sticky than the increase in good prices, and so they could become even more entrenched than the price of food, etc. So, for example, shelter costs, which everybody experiences acutely, contributed 18 basis points to monthly core CPI. Shelter is broken into two different components, which I've talked about before, owner's equivalent rent and then rent of primary residents. Owner's equivalent rent is basically them going to homeowners and being like, hey, how much would you rent this house out for? And then incorporating that into the CPI print for rent. <laughs> the reason that they don't include home prices is because homes are considered a capital investment not an expenditure. And then rent of primary residence is just rental charge for a regular person who does not have a home. And as you can see from this tweet from the CEA, together this rent component has contributed about 18 basis points to monthly core CPI versus 11 basis points on average pre-pandemic, meaning that houses are hecka expensive. And speaking of home prices, which are investment, not an expenditure, they're normally a leading indicator for rent and those are through the roof, literally. So we could see more pressure in shelter in the coming months just because home prices have gotten expensive. Basically, everything is expensive right now. The labor market is tight. Nobody really knows when the inflation pressure will go away. Ideally, supply chains will ease, but now inflation is not just about goods production, which is a function of supply chains, but it's also about the cost of medical care, travel, shelter, etc. All of those are increasing. The supply and demand, this is definitely the big one that people always bring up. A lot of companies are like, wow, we just don't have anything for you people. Sorry, we just don't have supply. And other companies are like, hey, you know, we're going to increase prices because we have to 
you. That's the only way that we're able to pay our suppliers is if we charge you more consumer. And then some companies are like, no, we're not. We're just going to sort of take the hit. Margins are going to take years to recover. So Chipotle versus Clorox. I'll talk about them a little bit later, but Tracy Alloway wrote a really good piece. Chipotle is an inelastic good. They increased prices 4% over the month of December. And people were like, no worries at all. We will still buy our burritos with you. And then Clorox has been struggling to improve their margins, saying it'll take years to recover in the market. It was like, you suck and we hate you. The stock market ends up rewarding companies that are able to pass costs along to consumers, which <laughs> sometimes the formula for stock go up is the exact opposite of what would be good for the average person. And so supply and demand are definitely a force equivalent to gravity for a lot of companies and consumers. But the main thing here is if there's not enough thing, too many people demand thing, the price go up or company costs. And of course, if price go up, inflation. But companies themselves are these living, breathing entities that pay people as well as produce goods for others to consume. And people are demanding goods far more than are being produced. I think it's 20% demand versus like 5% production, meaning there's a 15% differential between the amount of things that are being produced for people to consume and how much people want to consume. This really isn't a supply demand problem just from a goods production perspective, but it's also a supply and demand problem from a worker perspective, the people who actually go out there and produce the things for the people to demand. And so this gets into the concept of wage inflation. There's not enough workers, not enough people to make things. Wages either have to go up or the company crumbles, essentially. You're not a company without workers or you overwork your existing employees, which is a whole different issue. But companies normally don't like when wages go up because that means less money for them. Wages have gone up, but they haven't really kept up with inflation, even though the employment cost index increased. Wages and salaries for civilian workers climbed 4.5% from a year earlier, which is like, wow, like that's pretty good. But inflation just hit 7.5% from a year earlier. So wages are really tricky because you, everybody wants to be paid more, especially in an inflationary environment. But higher wages could lead to a wage price spiral in which workers say, wow, prices are super high. You know, company, please pay us more so we can afford food. And the company's like, yeah, sure, we get that. Yeah, here's some more money. And then the company turns around. They're like, well, we got to go raise prices in order to offset this increase in higher wages. We, we paid people more. Now we have to charge our customers more so we can pay people more. And that's a wage price spiral because it's like this horrible, you know, rinse and repeat loop and companies are being squeezed from all perspectives. So the PPI, which is the producer price index is high too. It's not just the CPI. Companies are feeling the inflationary pressure as well. Companies have pressure from higher labor costs. So people are more expensive to hire mostly because there's a shortage of them. And also because inflation is seven and a half percent, you have to pay people more usually when, when inflation is that high. Also there's higher input costs. So things are more expensive to make as reflected in the PPI. All of this boils down into higher prices for consumers, but we aren't in wage price spiral land yet, real compensation. Uh, so inflation adjusted compensation is down one and a half percent year over year, meaning people are not making more than inflation adjusted for inflation. And the Fed wants to avoid the wage price spiral. That's something that Jerome Powell has highlighted before. He's like, we can't have wages getting out of control because that's bad. And so they'll manage that through monetary policy, of course. So people are getting paid more, but not really. And the Bank of England <laughs> coming out and saying like, oh, don't ask for a pay raise because it's inflationary out there and you're going to make things harder for everybody. It was definitely saying the silent part out loud about inflation. You know, it's just tough out here. There's a good tweet from Ryan Sweet at Moody's. Having inflation running at a 7.5% yearly rate versus a 2 
2.1% average in 2018 and 2019, it's costing the average consumer $276 per month. Yikes. And then this gets into energy prices. So this has been a really big driver of inflation over the past year or so, mostly because of underinvestment and underproduction. Can't have green energy policy without green energy investment. And of course, oil went negative in March of 2020. So it was kind of tough to predict what was going on for these oil companies, right? But there's a lot of different things that go into this whole energy equation. Rory Johnson wrote a really good article detailing why the energy market could be balanced and how it could completely derail if one of these things go wrong. So rebounding U.S. shale could provide a floor to the energy market if U.S. shale starts producing again. But the only problem is that they could have potentially tapped the maximum potential in profitable wells and have limited the room for further growth. Point number two would be further unwinding of COVID era OPEC cuts. So OPEC could produce more. That'd be good. More production price go down usually because of supply. Only issue is OPEC spare capacity isn't looking so hot. The third point, all-time high production for non-OPEC producers outside the U.S. and Russia. So geopolitical tensions with Russia are definitely a big deal, but more countries are stepping up because of lack of energy security. Japan is giving its oil refiners a direct subsidy. So other countries are out there stepping up their oil production and unchanged sanctions on Iran and Venezuela. We're probably not going to lift sanctions on Iran and Venezuela. They're talking about that right now, but it's not looking good. Uh, so that will kind of leave oil to where it's at, right? Because we currently don't have their oil production in the market. And then a complete post-pandemic demand recovery. So as long as people keep on demanding oil, that, that's good. So we could see things abate in energy markets if everything goes okay, but like how long can things go okay for? What does that kind of look like? What if one of these things goes under, especially with OPEC and their spare production? Like basically energy markets are stable, but they're not stable, which is really good for inflation pressure. And then what does the market think about all this, right? So this is the flattening yield curve. So the markets are now expecting the Fed to move pricing in about 625, six or more. I, I, it's changing by the hour. It's crazy out there. 25 basis point rate hikes this year. The yield curve is flattening because the market's like, wow, the Fed's going to be moving. Like that's pretty crazy of them. We got to price that in. And normally the yield curve is upward sloping because future expectations of the economy are better than what we're experiencing now, right? Like the future should look good in the future. <laughs> like we should want to hope for a better future. And that's kind of what the upward sloping yield curve reflects. And when the yield curve flattens, that means that people are like, well, the future is not looking so hot. A flat yield curve isn't great because that means the economy could be going slower. And right now the market is worried that the Fed could tighten too fast and tighten us right into a recession. Also higher yields hurt stock valuations. So if yields keep ticking up, that could create a little bit of pressure, but a Fed Hiking environment is not always bad for stocks, but it's sometimes bad for stocks. And so essentially what the yield curve is saying is that they think the Fed is going to hike a lot. We'll see if that actually happens, but that is what the yield curve is telling us. What are stocks telling us? So a lot of people left a comment on a recent TikTok of mine talking about price gouging. So I was talking about inflation and they were like, whoa, this is just companies charging more. Are they price gouging? Like, is that actually something that's going on? So Tracy Alloway wrote a really good piece around profit margins and the fact that the Clorox Chipotle situation that, that companies that are willing to raise prices and pass costs off to consumers are rewarded by the stock market. So Chipotle, you know, they were like, hey, we increased prices by 4%. Yikes. And the stock market was like, that's really cool of you. And then Clorox was like, hey, you know, margins are going to take years to recover because we're not apparently inelastic goods like a burrito is. And the market was like, you suck and we hate you. And so as Tracy wrote, shareholders consistently rewarding companies who raise their prices could be a headache for a Federal Reserve trying to get a handle on inflation without impeding economic growth. And and so the stock market is rewarding the consequences of inflation, which is really bad.
said it makes sense because of course it does because it's the stock market but man that's not good and it's really about pricing pressure and margin maintenance but it definitely contributes to this overall inflationary environment and a lot of people think that the inflation that we are experiencing is really a function of the chipotles of the world saying four percent increase on your burrito price but it's like not joey wrote a really good piece of course uh, debunking some of that thesis stating high profit margins do not cause and are often not correlated with high inflation and the jump in profit margins is not particularly large so Nah. It's a much more complex combination of what we've been talking about through the videos, so supply and demand, input material costs, supply chain constraints, and labor pressures. So what does crypto think about all this? So crypto trades like a tech stock right now. It's because of institutional dollars. When things get risk off on tech, crypto trades like tech, so it moves like tech. I think that there could be an eventual decoupling, but for right now, crypto is not inflation hedge that everybody thought it would be. And to be fair, neither is gold midterms. So Biden is super that high inflation is bad. Biden has placed the onus on the Federal Reserve, rightly so, to manage it. Fiscal policy definitely has to step in at a certain point with managing inflation because the Fed can only do so much with monetary policy, but Manchin came out swinging saying that inflation taxes are draining the hard-earned wages of every American and it's causing real and severe economic pain that can no longer be ignored. It's beyond time for the Federal Reserve to tackle this issue head-on. And which they will, of course, like that's what we've been talking about for the past six months, dude. Uh, but the question is how and how quickly. So what is the Fed going to do? Maybe a 50 basis point hike in March, which would be a big deal. Markets are ready for that one, especially after Bullard came out and spoke. Maybe through shrinking the balance sheet faster than expected. There's a lot of options for them. And then, of course, the question is, will monetary policy work? Employ America wrote a really good paper kind of talking about how the Fed uses monetary policy and, and sort of this end goal of monetary policy to achieve slowing inflation because the Federal Reserve has a dual mandate, price stability, and maximum employment. Right now, price stability is their main focus, but Employee America wrote this report talking about how the Fed slows inflation, how the tools that they use kind of goes into the labor market. So the whole thing here is to cool businesses off, say like, hey, businesses, you know, capital stuff is going to be harder for you. It's going to be harder for you to pay people more. If you don't pay people as much, they're not going to be spending as much. If they're not spending as much, inflation will go down. And that's kind of the the Employee America perspective of the report, which was really quite good. Escanda wrote hikes, tighter financial conditions, lower business expenditures, lower labor income, lower consumer spending, lower price pressures. And so the Fed relies on a few things in order to achieve this kind of path, which the end goal is always lower consumer spending. How they get there is a whole different story, but the end goal is always lower consumer spending, credit conditions tightening. The toolkit that the Fed has relies on a couple of things. People believing in the Fed. So like a lot of what the Fed does hinges on Fed credibility, which they still have because like the market is freaking out right now about the Fed. One must imagine that market market belief that exist. But all of a sudden the market is like, haha, the Fed is lame and can't do anything. The Fed's toolkit is going to look a whole lot different if the market no longer believes that the Fed can do what it needs to do. And this gets into their toolkit itself. Maybe raising interest rates won't work the way that it's supposed to, which would be really bad. Monetary policy is kind of indirect. It's a big nudge nudge. It's largely routed through banks and trickled down to consumers, which works in theory, but... Yeah, the Fed has to do something. Jobs are strong, inflation is high, people are not happy. Colin has a very good piece on all the different channels that monetary policy goes through. And then of course, there's like financial theory. The main point of all of this is to make stuff more expensive, to stop people from spending. That's the Fed's end goal. As you can see from this diagram, a lot of different paths that the Fed can sort of use to do that. But the, the main goal is like, stop it. 
stop spending money. But right now it's two main things that people are focused on with the Fed. So how fast are they going to do this? If they come out of the gate with 50 basis points hike in March, like that could freak the market out, but the market's kind of pricing that in. They normally move in 25 basis increments and the Fed will likely hint to the market if they're going to do 50 basis points, like Bullard coming out and talking about that they're going to have 100 basis points increased by July and the market ate that up they were like heck yeah stocks went down and then the other question so how fast and then how often will they hike every meeting like how are they going to get to this 100 basis points hike that bullard is talking about who is a voting member the more that they hike the better to slow down the economy right but also recession risk they have to balance all these different things but the main thing that people are talking about is that the fed is behind the curve the fed waited too long to kind of get this show on the road and now we have seven and a half percent inflation <laughs> and so it's energy prices it's high cost of living it's higher wages but not really it's price increases anyway it's supply chains it's goods costing a lot of money it's services costing a lot of money it's shelter costs that stuff get potentially getting entrenched it's how fast the fed moves it's how well monetary policy works it's a lot of different things bubbling up to one big thing how do we fix it everything is a tightrope some final thoughts like it's so easy to sit back and be like oh the fed wants to raise rates because if the economy grows too fast it becomes unstable and then we get inflation and if you think about you know things being expensive now just wait but theory is never really practice the system itself is a function of nudge nudge so the fed nudges banks banks nudge consumers and businesses and they nudge their spending and that's like fine because policy is never a perfect solution in an imperfect system and there are a lot of questions around the fed's toolkit itself is nudge nudge interest rates really the best thing for the consumer you just kind of have to make it as good as possible right but like this is more so than that because there's frustration there's a lot of anger around company profiteering and then the stock market rewarding that it's just like oh and um there's a lot of anger around not feeling like there's a future to look forward to like the yield curve tells us how bond market people are feeling but sentiment tells us how regular people are feeling and I, i just don't think that there's a lot of happiness out there and i think that there are good things coming i think humans are just naturally pessimistic uh, which is probably a function of survival skills everything that we do is like this forced experimentation it is we're literally living in a simulation at all times nobody really knows how humans are going to act i i think that there is more that can be done to make the world a little bit less gray like it, perhaps that's irrational but maybe you need to be a little bit irrational because markets sometimes are <laughs> as george bernard shaw says the reasonable man adapts himself to the world the unreasonable one persist in trying to adapt the world to himself. Therefore, all progress depends on the unreasonable man. Yeah, so that was a lot going on there, but um, that's kind of what's going on. And I'm sorry for being MIA. I know I norm- I was doing so many videos and then I was like, bye forever. I haven't been feeling very well. And turns out it's it's a little bit hard to, this is so dumb, but like it's a little bit hard to get in front of a camera if you don't feel very good about yourself. So yes, that's kind of what's been going on with me. I will try to be back a little bit more, but also wanted to produce like higher quality stuff. So hopefully this is a little bit more higher quality and yeah, but I hope that you're doing okay out there. Go ahead and hit subscribe. This is a newsletter, kyla.substack.com. I'm on TikTok. I'm on Instagram. I'm on YouTube. I'm on Twitter. Just search me. I come up. But yeah, I hope you're doing okay and I'll talk to you all soon. Bye.